Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green. When I first started thinking about apologetics way back when, I said that my main concern was the truth. I just wanted to know whether or not God exists, and I still hold that aim. However, I used to be a lot more of an anti-theist. I shared Bertrand Russell's sentiment, quote, I am as firmly convinced that religions do harm as I am that they are untrue. And today, even though I wouldn't call myself an anti-theist, I still believe that there are obviously harmful forms of religion, including quite popular forms of fundamentalism. But combating harmful and widespread forms of fundamentalism is not all that related to the first goal of figuring out whether theism is true. They're two distinct projects, figuring out the way the world is, and trying to make the world a better place. These are both worthwhile, but there's a dispute over them between many atheists. This conflict is something I used to wrestle with internally quite a bit. Should we address popular versions of theism, beliefs that are widespread and have the most influence in the world? Or should we address the best, most defensible versions of theism, which are bound to be less popular? The boring but entirely true answer is that it depends on what your goals are. If you have goal A, then action Y makes sense. If you have goal B, then action Z makes sense, and doing Y might just seem bizarre. If you're concerned with activism and improving the world, then you should spend your time differently than someone who's concerned purely with figuring out what's true. Obviously, most atheists care about both. But as is so often the case, there are unavoidable trade-offs in how you spend your finite time. Trying to reduce the harm caused by religion is a good thing. It's a public service. But focusing on what's widely accepted in the pews is not the same thing as trying to figure out whether God exists. The most widely adopted version of theism is not also the most plausible version of theism. If you're an anti-theist or more activist-oriented, then you're probably concerned with fighting religious abuses, maintaining the separation of church and state, protecting education from the influence of religious fundamentalists, and liberating people from the illegitimate constraints placed on them by religious authorities and tradition. And if it isn't obvious, I gladly join hands with these people. But if you're primarily concerned with these goals, there may be trade-offs with regard to another goal, uncovering the truth about theism. To pursue the question of God's existence, we have to engage with the better forms of theism, which probably won't have multi-million dollar theme parks dedicated to them. As Michael Humer put it, who cares if you can refute the craziest version of a view? The way to learn is to address the most interesting defensible views, not to spend time discussing trivially false ideas. End quote. Even if those trivially false ideas are widespread, wield lots of influence in the world, and are positively dangerous, they're still trivially false. If your primary goal is to uncover the nature of reality, then it doesn't make any sense to spend your finite time attacking less plausible versions of theism, even if they're more popular and harmful. The uncomfortable to some consequence of this is that you're bound to spend time examining views of the world that very few people believe in. If you're more activist-oriented, this seems totally absurd. Why would you waste time talking about something that wields no influence and that people aren't affected by? If no one in the pews would accept it, why spend time talking about it? On the other hand, if you're simply pursuing the truth, it seems wasteful to spend time talking about beliefs that are obviously false. Their popularity and harmfulness is irrelevant. There's just not much overlap between what I'm calling the activist project and the project of getting closer to the truth about theism. But the trade-offs don't need to be too serious. Maybe you're dunking on Turek as one hobby among others for the common good, while you strive to engage the best of theism in your downtime. If so, that's great. 
but it doesn't seem like that's what many activists are actually doing. People in my position are often harsh to the activist-oriented crowd, but that's not because I'm against their project. It's because there's often false advertising on their side. Virtually all atheists, this includes atheist podcasts and blogs and channels, claim to be able to provide good reasons to disbelieve or lack belief in God or gods. And this includes those who don't primarily concern themselves with apologetics or philosophy of religion. The problem is their insistence that they have provided good reasons to reject theism without ever engaging with the best versions of theism. If you want your rejection of X to seem warranted, you should engage with the strongest form of X, not the worst version. It makes no difference to add that it's a very popular or very harmful version of X. It doesn't matter. If you're extremely confident in your atheism, and yet you've never looked at the best forms of theism, you're a dogmatic idiot. So a topic like this often leads to the value of philosophy, since, surprise surprise, virtually all of these overconfident morons hate philosophy. The highest level discussion of theism versus atheism is mostly going to take place in philosophy. The reason for this is that thinking hard about the question, analyzing every relevant concept and assumption with a microscopic attention to detail, is basically a description of analytic philosophy. So if you think concepts are best left unclear, and assumptions best left unstated and unexamined, then you should look somewhere other than analytic philosophy to explore this question. In the past, I've defended New Atheism from its critics on the grounds that New Atheism was a socio-political cultural response to the malignant influence of certain strains of fundamentalism. It was not an attempt to contribute to the analytic philosophy of religion. On the existence of God, they helped cross off a couple wrong answers if we're being generous, but I can't ignore the fact that many fans of the New Atheists wouldn't like my defense, since they clearly think the New Atheists put the entire issue to bed. Before I knew anything about the debates that had taken place at the highest level for centuries upon centuries, I thought something similar. But the forms of theism that the New Atheists reacted to really don't represent the best that theism can offer. There are three variables that tend to influence the conversation here. Popularity, plausibility, and harm. If you max out on plausibility, then popularity has likely taken a big hit, and if you max out on popularity, then plausibility has probably taken a big hit. If a belief is unpopular, implausible, and benign, then your time would be better spent engaging with something else. But if you alter any of those variables, then I think there's a decent reason to address it. Still, depending on what you care about the most, different actions make sense. A balance needs to be struck between these distinct projects, especially if you intend on doing them well. Assuming you actually want to be good at whatever it is you're doing, both projects are time-consuming. On this podcast and in my life, the balance may tilt a little more towards pursuing the truth and a lot less towards harm reduction, since I spend more time thinking about universalist Christianity and the best arguments for theism, even though neither of those things wield any influence at all in the Christian communities in which I was raised. I don't care, because the Christian worldview espoused in those communities is obviously false. To think that refuting the most literalist, fundamentalist forms of Christianity means Christianity is false is a mistake. If you spend all your time fighting those forms of Christianity, you're not getting any closer to the right answer. You're just spending your finite time meditating on one particular bad answer, which, depending on how harmful and prevalent it is, might be a good way to spend your time provided that you're willing to make that trade-off. 
Once again, it just depends what your primary goal is. I would add, though, that there's nothing wrong with spending time wrestling with popular-level apologetics, even if your goal is to get to the truth of the matter, assuming that those apologists represent a worldview that's a live option for you. If the more popular material is interacting with what you believe, or recently believed, then it makes perfect sense to spend your time with those videos, podcasts, texts, and so on. For me, it used to be a big deal that a certain narrow conception of Christianity was false. But since I wanted to figure out whether or not God exists, I didn't stop there. Refuting the version of Christianity that I used to believe is frankly not that hard. If you want your rejection of Christianity to be rational, you should engage with the best of what Christians have to offer. Camping out on the least plausible versions forever doesn't actually advance your understanding beyond eliminating a couple bad options. At worst, it's deeply dishonest to refute the worst version of an idea, stop there, and act as if the entire idea has been refuted. Michael Humer, after discussing paradoxes of omnipotence in his book, Knowledge, Reality, and Value, shared a few thoughts that I think have wider relevance to the discussion of theism versus atheism. Quote, These sorts of puzzles are entertaining but of no deep import. The most they should be able to accomplish is to make the theist refine his definitions of God. They do not get to the heart of the dispute between theists and atheists. It is reasonable for the theist to respond to these sorts of puzzles by refining definitions so as to eliminate the puzzles, because, in general, a good definition should usually not be contradictory. Thus, if someone succeeds in showing that the traditional definition of God is contradictory, that just shows that it's a poor definition, and we should replace it with a definition that isn't contradictory. There are limits to this. If the traditional conception of God is so confused that there's nothing anywhere close to it that's logically coherent, then we should just declare that there is no God. But if there is something in the neighborhood that is coherent, then we should interpret God as having one of the coherent meanings that is close to what is traditionally said about God. That's because our purpose is to learn, not to merely score points against people. The way to learn is to address the most interesting defensible views, not to spend our time discussing trivially false ideas. End quote. Ken Ham is wrong is not synonymous with Christianity is false, even though somehow some atheists seem to think it is. Frank Turek is an overconfident moron, is undoubtedly true, but that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. How is this not totally obvious? Unlike many activists, I think there is no reason to disparage the activist project or the philosophical project. The best exemplars of both are admirable. And as stated earlier, the trade-offs don't need to be serious. Maybe you were freed from the constraints of fundamentalism by others, so you spend a lot of your time trying to do the same for others. That doesn't mean you can't also spend your time actually trying to figure out whether God exists. However, assuming you want to do whatever you're doing well, these projects will occupy a lot of time, which is why these trade-offs exist to begin with. It's not that these projects are incompatible, they're just distinct from one another, you only have a finite amount of time, and you get to decide what that time will be occupied by. What kind of balance will you strike? How much of your time will be occupied by the worst versions of theism, and how much by the best? Helping to free others from the illegitimate spiritual and moral and intellectual constraints placed on them by religion is a commendable way to spend your time. And there are religious people who do that as well. I've met many of them in philosophy of religion. I also think it matters whether or not God exists, so that's an interesting way to spend one's time too. The ones who are focused on the truth of the matter are often perceived as elitist by the activist crowd, and the activists are often perceived as idiots by the philosopher crowd. 
Again, my main issue with the activist crowd is that they seem to think they're the best at both projects, despite never engaging with the strongest versions of the view they reject, or even admitting that there's any gradient. I'm sure some of them are listening and thinking there are no plausible versions of theism, they're all equally implausible. Let me just say, this is why you're perceived as idiots. If you seriously can't see a difference between I don't have enough faith to be an atheist by Frank Turek and the existence of God by Richard Swinburne, that's a you problem. But let's be honest, you haven't engaged with the existence of God, or if you did, you didn't have the tools to understand it. That's why you think that all forms of theism, everything from Lee Strobel's theism to David Bentley Hart's theism, are equally implausible. Why can't we just agree that we're doing different things? When two people have different goals, it won't make sense to act in the same way. And I'm not saying the activists aren't concerned with the truth. The activists are generally more concerned with attacking the truth of influential beliefs that make the world worse. This is entirely sensible. Philosophers are generally more concerned with addressing the best versions of each side, since that's the best way of figuring out whether we should be theists, atheists, or agnostics. This is also entirely sensible. Again, my main issue with the activist crowd is that they seem to think they're the best at both, despite never engaging with the strongest versions of the view they reject. One little footnote. I think some anti-theists, new atheists, whatever you want to call them, are sometimes operating under the assumption that the most widely subscribed forms of theism are sort of truer to the core ideas of theism or Christianity than the watered-down forms that I'm considering to be more defensible. I'd very much like to have that argument out in the open, so please make that argument explicitly if that's what you think. I probably won't be entirely unsympathetic to it. After all, we're talking about revealed religion. Are we supposed to believe that God revealed it poorly? Especially if salvation depends on it. If God is concerned with his followers having the right beliefs, then it would be really weird if the right answers were believed by a tiny minority of Christians. I think that the theists who represent the best that theism has to offer possess resources for answering these sorts of questions that fundamentalists lack. As I said, I'd very much like to have this debate with non-believers out in the open, rather than try to guess the specifics of their thinking. The way I see it, some atheists are primarily concerned with helping others. As a result, they see no point in spending time on things that have no significant influence in the world. Other atheists are primarily concerned with getting to the truth of the matter. As a result, they see no point in beating up on creationists, literalists, inerrantists, and other things that to them seem trivially false. Whether or not God exists doesn't hang on whether inerrantism is true. It doesn't depend on whether this or that harmful form of fundamentalism makes any sense. You could be right that a particular form of Christianity is false and harmful, and yet it's entirely possible that God exists, and will someday say, well done, good and faithful servant, to those who fought the evil committed in his name. So, to recap, I made the controversial claim that there's a distinction between the best and worst forms of theism, that we only have a finite amount of time, and that most people seem to err on the side of using that time to address the worst rather than the best. Personally, I don't care what kind of trade-offs you make in your personal or public life, so long as you don't pretend that you've debunked theism merely by addressing the most harmful forms, the most popular forms, or the form that you have the most personal experience with. There were quite a few subjects raised that are worth addressing further. I could have made an episode like this one aimed instead at theists who have mostly concerned themselves with attacking the most popular forms of atheism, rather than the best forms of atheism. 
It's not like the overconfident theists in the apologetic space have engaged with Draper, Oppie, Schellenberg, or Sobel. Most of the loudmouths online haven't done their due diligence, regardless of whether they're theists or atheists. Theists often bemoan the low quality of contemporary public atheism. In a way, I agree with them. But they're not blameless. Contemporary atheism wasn't formed in a vacuum. It's a response to contemporary theism. Most atheists are former believers who left the faith. What they're responding to is their idea of Christianity, which they formed as a part of the Christian community. You can criticize the quality of contemporary atheism and contemporary Christianity, but you can't just criticize atheism without acknowledging one of the major reasons it is the way that it is. There's no coherent way to dissociate the shallowness of contemporary atheism from the shallowness of contemporary theism, specifically Christianity. A Christian who's actually consistent in this regard, David Bentley Hart, has written scathingly about both. Quote, Contrary to conventional wisdom, Christianity has never really taken deep root in America or had any success in forming American consciousness. In its place, we have invented a kind of Orphic mystery religion of personal liberation, fecundated and sustained by a cult of mammon. And ten years earlier, quote, The utter inconsequentiality of contemporary atheism is a social and spiritual catastrophe. Something splendid and irreplaceable has taken leave of our culture some great moral and intellectual capacity that once inspired the more heroic expressions of belief and unbelief alike. Skepticism and atheism are, at least in their highest manifestations, noble, precious, and even necessary traditions, and even the most fervent of believers should acknowledge that both are often inspired by a profound moral alarm at evil and suffering, at the corruption of religious institutions, at psychological terrorism, at injustices either prompted or abetted by religious doctrines, at arid dogmatisms and inane fideisms, and at worldly power wielded in the name of otherworldly goods. In the best kinds of unbelief, there is something of the moral grandeur of the prophets, a deep and admirable abhorrence of those vicious idolatries that enslave minds and justify our worst cruelties. Thank you for listening. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.